In the garden, he has trained roses through the frames of medicine trolleys and up stairwell cages made to thwart patient suicides. From the trees, he hangs emergency eye wash stations filled with water and seed dispensers that were once miniature incinerators mounted in every ward for the quick disposal of tainted materials. Sometimes he sits and watches the birds enjoying his hospitality from a bench of wheelchairs lashed together with bathing harnesses. He has ventured outside on this damp April afternoon to replenish the feeders and forage a little for himself. Pulling his oxygen cylinder behind him on its stainless steel caddy, he advances, a creeping shadow against the pale facade of Revenant House. He can feel cold soak spreading across his feet. Shouldn't have come out in his slippers. He passes an apple tree and remembers how once, after some stupid argument, his daughter climbed it and wouldn't come down. She said she would stay up there until he apologized, and he was stubborn enough to shout at her that he never would. She was fifteen, far too old for that kind of thing, but that didn't stop her. He can still see the red trainers on her feet, hanging down like fruit, as he pretended to be getting on with his work inside, but checked the window every five minutes to make sure she was safe. He stops by the lake to watch a thin band of mist rolling over the water and listen to the babble of the birds as word spreads that he's replenished their supplies. He feels the wave of nausea that strikes whenever he forgets to have lunch. Time to eat. He grows tomatoes in an old hospital tour bus, which, when it was on wheels and not stacks of crumbling bricks, was used to take patients on excursions. He sows in stages, trying to achieve the longest possible crop, but it's still a bit early in the year. When he looks hopefully through the window, he can see no red among the green. As usual, the chickens are his best hope. He makes his daily raid on the coop, pondering all the poor souls whose lives played out in the hospital, and thinking that eggs are unrealized futures too. Best laid plans, hopes dashed and scrambled. Three eggs, fragile in his pocket. Now that he has them, he feels armed against the evening. Back in the kitchen, he sits perched by the range on a hospital stool, letting the pan of water boil for longer than it needs to, so that the steam will heat the air around him. He drinks sweet, strong tea from a pint mug. He melts some butter and tips in the mixing bowl's marbled emulsion, a little whisk as they seethe into substance, and he eats the eggs straight from the pan, too quickly, enjoying the hot catch at the back of his throat. A noise at the window makes him jump, and he wonders if it will be one of those days when trespassers are a nuisance. They still come, sometimes, local kids pumped up on boredom trying to spook themselves. He hears things in the night, and goes down to find a bonfire lit, with bottles strewn round it, and a music machine throbbing nearby. The fleeing rabble taunts him from the darkness. He has become that old man, an object for their sport. He wants to explain to them that he didn't intend to end up like this.
that he moved here on the understanding that the hospital would be redeveloped in no time. But it would be pointless. It suits them to see him as a creepy adornment to the place, the patient who never went home, the mad, self-medicating doctor. When he braves a trip into town, he can feel eyes on him in the supermarket car park, and a simple grocery shop can wreck his nerves for days. Later, there will be evening hours with a bottle and a fire, and perhaps a copy of a small periodical he once edited called The Milan Review. For now, it is time to get back to work. Dragging his oxygen behind him, he makes his way slowly down the corridor to the ground-floor day room he uses as his study. He looks around him at the walls, where faded patient murals are peeling. He lowers himself into his knackered green armchair and runs a palm down.